0: Welcome to the Hardware Asylum Podcast. This episode, we talk about the new Pascal GTX 1050 and take an in-depth look at the HPT Gravity 6. I'm your host, Dennis Garcia. With me today, I have Darren McKay.
1: Dennis, we haven't talked in a while about my backup PC My Backup Gaming PC, that we've modded and upgraded as sort of a budget gaming PC. I'm surprised you still have it, to be honest. (laughs) Well, you know, I have kids, and they still use both of My Backup machines. So there's sort of a domino effect, and we've talked a little bit about that. But what I've been wondering is, with the latest release of the GTX 1050 video card series, if it's time to take a look at updating the video cards that's in one or both of those PCs. And I know, because I'm seeing them right now, that you've got a stack A stack of 1050s on the bench.
0: A a literal stack. (laughs) I mean, we have, unprecedentedly, three 1050s that I got from uh, MSI, EVGA, and Zotac. Uh, Zotac's a new card for us. It's actually kind of cool. And then I also have a 1050
1: tie from Gigabyte. Oh, see, now I didn't even know that there was a 1050 tie out there. I guess I just haven't been paying a lot of attention to the entry level because, of course, I went and got a 1070.
0: We also have, with the Pascal release that the ties have been
1: kind of left off of the shelf, so to speak. Well, and they weren't really on the roadmap. So they've just kind of, yeah, not a lot of influence this time around. And that may be the way it is until the 1080 tie comes out. Right. And I'm waiting for that one. That'll be awesome. So let's talk about it a little bit. And then by way of background, I should point out that my two backup gaming PCs my kids use primarily for entry-level gaming. So things like Minecraft from Roblox. But lately, my kids have taken a little bit of interest in a little bit of next-level games, for example, first-person shooters. So I'm excited about that. And that means that I'm looking at replacing potentially a 7770 that's in one of the machines and a 650 Ti boost that's in the other. The boost love that card. That was kind of a fun card. And they have been plenty adequate for what they've been doing up to this point, which is, you know, YouTube, some light movie watching, and light gaming. We should probably just look
0: at the benefits of the 1050 and how it compares against the other cards
1: on the market. Well, let's talk about it a little bit, because I know that entry-level cards sometimes are fantastic deals and sometimes are just marginal incremental increases. So I'm curious as to which one
0: these are. Okay, so these are... Basically, the bottom end of the Pascal chip. So they've been cut down quite a bit. They have, I'm not even going to talk about how many CUDA cores they have because it's minimal. Yeah,
1: if you're looking at this card, you're probably not really looking at specs. You're primarily
0: budget motivated. Yeah, you are very budget motivated. We have the 1050 in its um, stock quote unquote reference form. It's about a $100 card.
1: The 1050 tie is an extra $50. And my guess is. Since we're coming into the fall season and Black Friday, you might see some great windfall sales on these as NVIDIA attempts to get under the skin of ATI. Well, they kind of already did that. You know, when 1050
0: got released, the, what was it, the RX 460 was on the market. Right. And that was kind of the budget card that owned the budget area of DirectX 12. And with 1050, they undercut the price by like 20 or $30. So it's already the cheaper card out there. And if they even make it cheaper yet... Yeah, it's going to sell like hockey.
1: (laughs) Well, that might give us some good reason to look at it. But let's talk about it as an upgrade path. So what does the 1050 bring over the previous generation, the 9X cards?
0: Better DirectX 12 performance. That's primarily the biggest benefit to this card.
1: Now, I've heard that they did some things to make them more power efficient, though.
0: Right. Well, the GPU itself only has a 70-watt power draw, so you can run it off of PCI Express power. There's no need for an external PCI Express connector, the power connector, unless you are running the 1050 Ti and then certain manufacturers added that plug to enhance overclock.
1: So also smaller footprint, right?
0: Yeah, it's a very small card. It reminds me a lot of the 750 tie. Ti. You remember that card when it came out? It was um, very small, very compact, overclocked extremely well for how small it was. However, you had to add a EVGA power board to it.
1: Are we back down in the land of passive cooling?
0: Not so much. The, all these cards come with fans. For instance, the Gigabyte 1050 Ti comes with the dual fan wind force cooler. Nice. But it's only a two heat pipe design, so it doesn't have to move that much heat at all. It's 70 watt TDP, so it's not that much at all. The GTX 1050s, basically are using kind of like an intel style radial fan cooler you know it's got a fan over a heat sink and that's it
1: well it's kind of back to old school there so not much need to generate any heat reduction it sounds like no not so much and when the gpu is not under load the fan turns off that's always nice i know that the whole generation has cars that do that but i noticed mine doesn't spend a lot of downtime. well no not unless the
0: computer's off I was actually surprised when these cards came out that nobody created a passive version. You know, like back in the day, Gigabyte had a zero noise, I think it was a ATI card. And it just had a radial fin, like, heat pipe cooler that wrapped around the whole card. And I've got one of those, actually, yeah. Yeah, and that's what kept the GPU cool. As long as you kept it in the airflow path in your case, it didn't overheat, regardless of what you did to it.
1: Yeah, that was a great home theater card because you had one less fan to worry about. And with the ten
0: fifties, obviously they will work well as a home theater option. They're a bit tall, though. They aren't half height cards. That would, which would be nice if they were half height, but they're just shorter. And they don't require a lot of cooling, so the fan turns off. But if they had created a slightly larger passive heatsink for it, it would have been, I think, a really good combination.
1: So you've talked a little bit
0: about the cooling
1: difference between the TiE edition and the regular. But what else does that extra 100 bucks get us in the TiE?
0: A few extra CUDA cores, a little bit more clock speed, and the option for 4 gigs of memory. The 1050 only comes with 2 gigs of memory on board, so you'll be limited in terms of video resolution. And how many colors you can handle and stuff like that. You're not going to run 4K on the 1050. It's just kind of out of the question. With the 1050 Ti though, you can run 4K in certain games. VR might be out of the question just because of the speed limitations. But you'll be able to run larger textures and it will generally be a little bit faster.
1: So that 100 bucks might be a good deal if you can stretch it. But that does put you in striking distance of the 1060. I was a bit torn
0: with the 1050s. It, well, in any 50 series generation card in the past, it's that it's slow. I mean, it just physically feels slow. It's painful to run my benchmarks the way I have them set up. You know, I turn up all of the details and running like Hitman on the extreme setting in DirectX 12, you might get 10, 20 frames per second. It moves really, really oh, slow. Ouch. So, it, but with you're running a 1080 or 1070, you're getting 60 to almost 80 frames a second in that game with those same settings. So, Comparatively speaking, it's really painful to watch.
1: Okay, so you mentioned the benchmarks, but what uh, what kind of benchmark performance have we been seeing on these things? Can you give us some examples? The 1050 and 1050 Ti pretty much straddle the old
0: GeForce 670, and that was a 70 series card in the 600 series generation, so that's several generations old. But that was, at the time, was the pretty much the sweet spot for gaming. So that was what everybody bought to do 1080p gaming and do it very well. In terms of the benchmarks, we have the 1050 sitting on the low end of that card, 1050 Ti sitting on the high end of that card. The GTX 670 running DirectX 12 on the same settings would run about half the speed. So it is considerably slower in terms of performance. So the 1050 and 1050 TIEs, are, they bring the DirectX 12 performance to a playable level. When you get down to a DirectX 11 and 10, both cards are about equal.
1: Okay. So I'm still a little foggy then. I see this as, a, as an entry-level card, mm-hmm. and generally I like to recommend the entry-level in the next generation as a good step up, and that's especially true with processors. But it doesn't sound like that's necessarily the case with the 1050.
0: Well, the 1050, I saw it as being a, a very good upgrader's card, but only in certain situations. The first situation would be budget-mindedness. So we're looking for people that can only afford a 100 bucks, $150, kind of the low end on the market. We're also looking for people that are upgrading from a PC that might be five or six years old, either running um, integrated graphics, uh, shutter, or you know, a 600 series card, or maybe a 7000 AMD card, something in that range. And if you're wanting to play some of the latest DirectX 12 titles, and they're going not going to run very well on that old GPU. So if you upgrade this GPU, it's pretty much an even swap in terms of raw performance in games, but you're saving yourself a lot of power consumption. You don't have to plug in that extra power connector, saving yourself some heat. And you can also, if you needed to, downgrade this PSU. NVIDIA claims that you only need a 300-watt (laughs) PSU. You only need a 300-watt power supply to run this card in any system. So, you know, we're talking like some of those OEM AMD builds that you get from mom-and-pop shops, right? Right. You know, they're using that cheap 300-watt power supply. It doesn't have any power connectors at all. Maybe like a reference-style video card that really has no consequence. Now you can take that out, plug in a 1050, not change anything else and be able to play some of the latest games.
1: Well, that at least gives some appeal because I know a lot of times when I'm recommending upgrades, one of the first things I have to ask is, "Well, oh, what power supply do you have?" Because so often it's a 430 or even smaller, and they just can't power the upgrade that they're looking at on the market.
0: Yeah, there was a a land party that Darren and I attended, Boise Land 4.0. Yay! And I was building a PC to to bring along, not for myself but for a friend, and. I was just grabbing something that I had in the, in the lab and it was a, an AMD 2X card or not 2X card, but 2X CPU, something 250 or something. It was really slow. So I ended, I set out to try to make this machine playable at the LAN. So I spent a good couple of hours pulling out the processor, putting another AMD in there that was a quad core, adding dual channel memory because the mom and pop shop that made it only had a single stick in there. And then I went to put in a 670 graphics card and notice that the power supply was a 300 watt. Ouch. And at that time, I couldn't run the 1050 in there, so I ended up having to pull out the power supply, rewire the entire case, just to run that video card so that we could game on it.
1: Yeah, ouch. And that's a, that's a tough prospect.
0: It was a fun experience, not one that I would recommend to anybody, but had I had the 1050 available, I could just drop that in there. It would have been an easy upgrade.
1: Okay, so let's go back to my two PCs here. So I've got... One machine that's running an A ten, both have at least five hundred watt power supplies. One 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 six fifty, and I've got a seventy seven seventy and one, and a six fifty tie in the other. Now, if my kids are looking at playing newer games but aren't interested in the AAA sixty dollars titles yet, thank goodness. What do we think? A good fit for those systems? It would be a good future proof for those systems. We're
0: not looking for the sixty dollars games, and those are the ones that are going to be primarily on DirectX twelve. You know you're gonna need Windows 10 to run them, obviously. But if you're just playing some of the the cheap, ten, twenty, thirty dollar games, chances are those are DirectX 11. If we really push it,
1: yeah, and a generation or two behind in some of the titles are the games that they're discovering.
0: In terms of that 650 Ti boost, you will see a speed increase, I believe, even just running at 1050. With the 770, you get a couple of benefits there. One, PhysX because of the NVIDIA GPU. In terms of speed, I believe it's going to be probably on the same level as that 650 or maybe even the 660, or maybe I'm misremembering, but it'll definitely give you the technology upgrade and hopefully
1: a speed boost. One other question before we leave the 1050 behind, frequently I recommend when people buy low-end video cards that they jump in at whatever their budget is and then add a second card later to make up for their shortcomings, Mm -hmm. but we haven't talked about that at all. How does the 1050 work in multi-card crossfire or any of those really multi-card configurations?
0: Well, officially from NVIDIA, you can't run SLI with these cards. There's no SLI fingers on the top, so you can't physically link them in SLI mode. Oh. However, in my GTX 1050 review, which I will link down in the show notes, I was able to run two GTX 1050s together and play Ashes of the Singularity in multi-GPU
1: mode. Now, Ashes of Singularity has a great reputation for bending the rules on multi-card, which is why I hesitated with my Crossfire suggestion there, because that was exactly the game I was thinking of, but not something my kids would play. Not so much. But in Ashes
0: of Singularity, it's a DirectX 12 game, and you have to run it in DirectX 12 mode, obviously, and enable the multi-GPU. At that point, the DirectX 12 interface takes over and is able to send packets to each one of the cards that it has linked. I tried to really push it and run three cards, because on my test system, I could run all three of those cards together. Windows detected all three cards. It pulled up drivers for all three. But when I got into Ashes, it only understood two. That was a limitation of the game. And as I understand it, it's a limitation of the game developer to determine how many cards it wants to allow to run at one time.
1: Interesting. So definitely not something that you'd want to count on when you purchase a 1050.
0: No, and it so far, Ashes was the only one that would work. I was told it would work in Tomb Raider, Rise of the Tomb Raider, but it didn't. And you would think it would work in Time Spy, which is the
1: FutureMark DirectX 12 benchmark, but it didn't either. Okay, so final word. Would you recommend a 1050 as a budget gaming card, or would you spend a little more money on a 1060, or would you go back a generation and get a 9 card on the cheap? That is a very good question. I would have to,
0: I will recommend it in stages. Okay. 1060, yes. Back a generation,
1: yes, in this order. Then go 1050. Ah, so it's all about the money like always. Well, folks, I will have to let you know if we end up migrating into a 1050 or if we re-examine the budget and go elsewhere. But until then, maybe the 1050 is the card for you. Maybe not.
0: As hardware reviewers, both Darren and I get asked quite often about our opinion on certain products. Normally, those go into a review, and that's where I can say, hey, I recommend this cooler, I recommend this case, I recommend this SSD, or stay away from this, don't touch it. But generally speaking, as we've mentioned before, those crappy products never come out.
1: Of course, generally, when we're providing feedback, it's because we're doing it through a review, as you mentioned, and that means the product is already on the market or at least will be very shortly, and it's a little too late to make those course changes. So that means that our feedback gets incorporated into a new revision, if ever. But that's not the case today. No, in front of us we have
0: the Honbon Tech, or HBT Plus, Gravity 6. This is a brand new chassis from Honbon Tech, and it's a company that we've looked at before. We've reviewed the Turbine 700 and the Shield 700.
1: Now, one of the nice things about HBT is they have gone a little bit out of their way to bring some innovative looks to the market. And this is definitely a great example of that.
0: Yeah, with the, for instance, with like the turbine, they went a little crazy with the vents. A lot of people loved them or hated them. But I don't think that's going to be the case with the Gravity 6. We have a very traditional chassis with some very new age sort of technology and features built into
1: it. Now, this is an all-black case, and it is, well, it looks like it's not quite a full size, but it's wider as the latest generation has gone. Yeah, I would call this a
0: mid-tower, but it's considerably wider than some of the traditional mid-towers you would see. And some of that is extra space in the build bay, which I'll call where the motherboard goes, and also behind the motherboard tray. We have a good inch and a half or so.
1: Nice. So how do they fill all this space and what makes this case stand out so much, Dennis? A
0: lot of things, really. From the outside appearance, we'll start on the outside. We have side panels here with a nice square window shaded. This is very important. It's a shaded window. The panel itself
1: is made from aluminum. Well, and I want to step back a little bit because I don't think you're doing the look of this case justice. And I know that we'll have pictures available in the uh, review. And of course, we'll link to that. But I I want to point out that this thing is a beautiful satin, almost brushed aluminum, and it is a black monolith with a really large tinted window. And as you guys probably know from our modding experiences, Dennis and I are huge fans of the tinted windows because you get all the advantages of the window, but you have just enough darkness that it doesn't show all your nooks and crannies. It works well when you have lights, too.
0: So when it lights up, you can see everything inside. Turn off the lights. It hides everything inside.
1: So you are
0: right. Uh, From the outside, it's all brushed aluminum. And in fact, the brushed aluminum pieces on the top, which are kind of an inverted V, and the front, which is a outward V, those are clad in aluminum, brushed aluminum.
1: Now, I should point out that the the shape of this, the, the inverted V, as you're saying, to me it kind of brings to mind the aggressive profile of some of the modern supercars, and that is where they've lowered the center, and of course the side ridges are raised because of the wheel wells. But also even the bottom front of this has an interesting point to it that kind of reminds me of, say, uh, you know, a Lamborghini Aventador, for example, where it's pointed and sharply downturned. And I like that.
0: It, uh, it goes along well with that. As I mentioned before, the side panel is made completely of aluminum, the side window is cut into that, and then there's some rails that are attached to the aluminum on the inside, brushed and anodized. On the reverse side, we have a similar panel with no window. So it's completely a, just aluminum shell. On the top and the front, with the ornate vents along the side, which have some metal grilling inside, that's a, a molded plastic piece, and then it's clad in aluminum and brushed. So it looks like the rest of it. So. From the outward appearance, if it was just sitting there on the ground, you would think it was an aluminum case.
1: Yeah, and I sure thought it was until you told me otherwise, and uh, even had to do a little touching to be sure for myself.
0: Yeah, well, if you touch the top, it feels like aluminum. That's just the way that it feels. It's pretty awesome in that regard.
1: Now, also, the top and front panels both come off, if I remember correctly, on this one, which is not always the case.
0: No, well... Okay, you are correct. Yes, they do come off, and no, it's not always the case. Uh, This one, it pops off. There's no screws holding it in place, but the clips are very strong. They've got six of them in there, so you have to get in with your hands and kind of squeeze it to pull (laughs) the top off. So be a little serious. Yeah, but that is a good thing. So that covers up the top-mounted fan radiator location. we got three fan positions there and three fan positions in the front, which are also the primary intake, so we have a filter there. So we need to be able to pull that panel off easily to get to that filter.
1: So now you mentioned that those are fan radiator locations now. Can you mount on the inside and the outside of that panel or just the inside of the case? Uh, Just the inside for the
0: most part, because the top part is raised. It goes into the chamber on the top that gets covered. And on the front, it's a flat panel. So you can put the fans on the outside or on the inside, but it's set up for the fans on the inside.
1: And I can see that because it looks like most of the air is coming from those side vents or from the bottom, at least in the front.
0: That's one thing I I really like because too many cases that have a solid front or a solid top, they have inadequate venting. And by inadequate, I'm talking about like little side vents or, you know, slots on the side. And that's designed to be quiet, so to speak, but it also limits how much air gets through there. And if you run a high-pressure fan or high-flow fan... It's going to make that fan inefficient and make a lot of noise.
1: So, what size uh, fan locations, what size radiator are we looking at here?
0: Uh, we are all 120s. So, we have a um, a 360 in the front, 360 in the top. We can have a 140 in the back that's slotted for that. So, you could have 140 or 120 all one cooler in the back.
1: Now, people are going to ask how many fans does it come with stock?
0: It comes with a total of, oh, I'm going to side both side
1: panel off. Dun, dun, dun. Three. Nice, not bad. Ooh, and we're pulling the side off here, and that's got me a little excited because I did not realize the drive mounting wasn't a traditional cage. No, we have trays. These are something
0: that I saw, I would say with the S-frame, the InWin S-frame, where we have these trays that mount to the case itself, and those trays hold the drives. So we have spots for three and a half inch drives here. It's also drilled for two and a half inch drives, so you can run your your, um, SSDs. It also has two drive mounts on the back side of the motherboard as well. Nice. And also, okay, on the front, we have two installed fans, one at the bottom, one in the middle. You have one more spot at the top, so you can install a third fan if you need to. The thing that impressed me the most is the quote-unquote basement, or basically the power supply cover. Right. And this, unlike some of the other cases I've seen, it's made out of plastic, but it's also removable, unlike... In the previous HBT, like the turbine and the shield, it was metal and it was molded into the case. So it was really a very solid piece of... With this one, you can remove it completely.
1: Well, it's a nice location for the branding too. And I can already kind of see where some accent lighting might be fun.
0: We also have a couple of pass-through holes here so we can get some wires through to the bottom of the motherboard. Uh, We have two small cable access points at the top of the motherboard above where the opening is for heat sink mounting. Two very large... Cable access points to the right, which are also grommeted. Nice. So that will handle your main power, your SATA connections, and likely also the PCI Express power to the video cards. Drives are all accessible from the back. So all you will see is the front of the drive when they get installed in the trays. If you use them at all. If you use them at all, yes. Because you can remove those completely, and then that makes a very good location for DIY water-cooling pumps and resists and stuff. Yeah,
1: and that's what I was thinking. Use those back two locations and then fire up some really fancy reservoir. Uh So if we
0: spin the case around, I'll get up and do that real quick. Right.
1: While you're doing that, I want to point out that there are two rubber water cooling grommets on the back, too, although I have yet to see anybody seriously use those except for in some radical competition builds.
0: Yeah, that was like old school.
1: Definitely old school, but I guess they don't cost much to include them. Oh, now there's some interesting stuff going on in the back as Dennis sits back down here. I want to point out that there is a relatively impressive fan controller back here mounted. Yeah, we have a, a fan um, hub,
0: as they call it. So we have um a fan control here. This plugs into the motherboard, gives you RPM controls and stuff, I believe. And then we also have a SATA power connection, and that's what
1: drives this entire fan block. And I'm counting four, five, eight different fans, it looks like, on at least two different controllers, I would guess, from the color scheme there.
0: I'm not sure what the different colors are. I'll have to test that. But, yeah, we got four and four. Four white ones, four black ones. They could be different. Uh, they're all three-pins, so we can't run any PMW controls. Unlike, like on a text they have the PMW uh, fan switch.
1: Right, maybe next-generation guys. The
0: one thing that I... It totally impressed me when I pulled the back panel off, is the accessory box. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. Okay, so this is branded. It's HPT branded. It has Gravity 6 accessory box printed on it, plus a picture of the case so you know which one it goes to. It fits inside the drive hole.
1: Oh, nice. So you could keep that in the case, which is something that when you get like me and have a lot of cases laying around, you end up with all these random boxes with Sharpied names on them sitting in a drawer.
0: Like, where does this go? What does it go to? And at this point, you can put in, like, your um, expansion bay covers and stuff like that. You can put those in the box and keep it all in one spot.
1: Well, I like also that they've included some really pretty branded uh,
0: Velcro ties on the main runs in the back. Every case comes pre-wired with various wires for, like, the front panel controls and whatnot. Too many times, those wires are either wire-tied to little hooks in the motherboard tray or something like that. Here, we, they're all nicely bundled together with HBT. Uh, Velco straps.
1: Very nicely done.
0: Yeah, attention to detail, that's for sure.
1: We should maybe point out that the reason that we like this case isn't necessarily because we've had some input in it. Oh, that certainly helps to take a little ownership for it. But uh, what does that mean exactly, that we had a little bit of input in this for the folks that aren't aware of how that process works? Well, since I was one of the few
0: websites to review the previous cases, and I also met with the company at Computex, they trusted me enough to Say, hey, we have these new designs that we are experimenting with. What is your thoughts? And they would give me like three different designs. And I would kind of tear them apart and say, oh, well, I like this. I don't like that. This would work if we had sufficient cooling here. And I sent those to you as well. So we had two people sending feedback. And based on that feedback, they would change their designs. And this was the final design that came out of all of our discussions.
1: Exactly. So some of the features that we've talked about, especially the way that this case breathes and the overall profile, were directly influenced by some of our feedback, or at least we like to think that it was directly influenced. Yeah, there was a
0: lot that was borrowed from, like, the uh, the turbine design. Like, we have the basement that separates the motherboard from the power supply, and that's kind of a, a gimme. You have to have that. But one of my criticisms before was that the fact that that cover was too close to the bottom of the motherboard tray. Well, here we have a nice about a half an inch between the bottom of the motherboard and the top of that shell, plus you can remove it, which is nice because from the back we can see uh, where our hard drive trays mount This extends all the way down to the bottom of the case. So if we remove that basement piece, we could put the drives at the very, very bottom and have the water cooling on top. It's kind of universal in the way that they allow you to install things.
1: Yeah, a great deal of flexibility on what is really necessary inside the box, which is a trend that I really like in cases. Too long we've seen the huge cases that hold 5 or 10 or 20 drives. Nobody really does that anymore. And there's not been much support for SSDs. And so you end up with a lot of extra cable runs and shelving and crap that you just don't need, blocking airflow, taking up space, and just kind of looking ugly in a window. Yeah, this is
0: a very modern design based on those comments. I mean, we have a good almost two inches of space behind the motherboard tray for cable routing, partially so that you can have full-size three-and-a-half-inch hard drives back here. But also, you know, you can have a lot of cables hiding behind here. And you know how hard it is to put a drive side on when you have, you know, cables stacked on top of each other because you can't get them to lay flat. Along the front, obviously we don't have any external five and a quarter bays. Everybody's kind of losing favor of those, even though I'm somewhat of a fan still. So at that point, what do you do with that side panel? And in this case, they created an ornate uh, front, which is the button, the power button, and then mimic that outward V shape that which is kind of borrowed from the top, which is an inward V.
1: Yeah, very nice. So overall, I think you could tell just from the comments that we like the case, and we would happily recommend it and think you should support manufacturers like HDT that, one, listen to the feedback of the community and make those changes, and two, support that much
0: versatility in a case. The one thing I, I should mention, the one thing I do like about this case is that while it gives you a lot of flexibility on the inside of just installing your gear— It gives you plenty of options also for modifications. Oh, yeah. So we have, obviously, DIY water cooling installs. We can remove these trays and drill holes if we need to. They didn't include any pump mounts like what uh, Fantex does, but personally, I don't think that those are needed. If you're going to install a water cooling kit, you need to have flexibility in where you put things. The thing that I I like is that we have um, these little grills are metal, and they're just kind of screwed into the plastic. These are the vents on the top and the front. So we can remove those and paint those, kind of give it a little bit of accent color. Yeah, and they're big, and I think for some backlighting too. In terms of custom paint, the motherboard tray itself is all one solid piece, unlike in some cases where it's kind of segmented. So I could easily drill this out, paint the entire motherboard tray, kind of our signature Lamborghini orange, put that back in, and then when you have like some LED lights shining through that shaded side window, it'll kind of give it a nice little accent color and really show off the gear inside and make it pop.
1: Most definitely. Well, what do you have in mind for this thing? Is there a specific build or should we wait
0: and see? I think we're going to have to wait and see because uh, I really want to tear this thing apart and kind of
1: get some color put down. Well, folks, go ahead and check out the review for the Gravity 6 coming soon. And I hope you like the case as much as we do.
0: For more information on the topics discussed in this podcast, please consult our show notes on hardwareasylum.com. Stay up to date on the latest at Hardware Asylum by subscribing to our RSS. Follow us on Google or like us on Facebook. This has been an EngineLink production copyright 2016. Thanks for listening.